Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, good morning, Mercy Church. Morning. Goodness gracious, y'all are awake and alive this morning. Good good to see y'all. Well, my name is Pastor Richard. I am the campus pastor at our Northeast campus. Um, It's a pleasure to be with y'all this morning. Um, But y'all, before I start out, I just want to start just saying happy 4th of July. Um, Y'all, this day is an important day, or yesterday, y'all, it's the 4th on Sunday. Goodness gracious. Um, It just dawned on me. I memorized that, but it just dawned on me. Um, um, This is a important day, Um, and like with any holiday, there's a mixture of mourning and celebration, because mourning, because there there were lives that were at stake, Um, celebration, because we get to celebrate freedom, and as a believer, freedom is the thing that we get to celebrate in Christ even more, because He came and rescued us. He, he resurrected for us, so therefore we can have freedom in Him, freedom from our enemies, freedom from, from, from death. And so, happy 4th of July. Awesome. Well, let me uh, pray for us, and then we will dive in. Cool? Y'all don't seem excited at all. I, I, said, I said, cool? All right. Good, good. Goodness gracious. All right. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, we are incredibly grateful that we have to be here where we can worship to you, where we can open your word um, freely, and that we can take your gospel to all places among all people uh, without any restrictions. And that's because, Father, you are at work. And, and so, Father, I ask that you would work in our hearts uh, today. Lord, work in me. Lord, help me not to be um, impressive, but help me to be faithful as I present this word to your people um, today. And so, Lord, uh, you know where our hearts are at. And so, Lord, help us open our hearts, Lord. Um, warm our heart um, to your scriptures. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Christ, my name we pray. What the church say? Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, um, so we're going to be back inside Acts 17. So just flip your Bible open to Acts 17. Um, if you um, open it up, we're going to start verses 1 through 15. That's going to be the summary of what we're going through today. And so as we look at the text, we're going to see how Paul and Silas turned the world upside down. Y'all, y'all think I'm, I'm kidding. The Scripture literally says in verse 6, it says, These men who have turned the world upside down. Y'all, that is crazy for the Bible to present that about two ordinary men, um, about changing the world. That's crazy, right? Um, in, in 2014, um, um, Admiral McRaven, who was a, a Navy um, admiral, presented a speech at his alma mater. I'm about to say this name. Y'all, please excuse me. Excuse me. The, the University of Texas. That hurt to say. Um, <laughs> thank y'all. Thank y'all for bearing with me. Um, the speech took off, uh, and it has 13 million views on YouTube. 
13 million views. And within this speech, he challenged the graduate students that they could change the world. He says that the average American will meet about 10,000 people in their lifetime. And he says, what if the 8,686 graduates impacted 10 people, then those 10 people impact another 10 people. Within five generations, they would impact 800 million people. 800 million people by just impacting 10 people. And he looked at them directly, square now, like I'm doing with you. He says, you can have that type of impact. He says, he says, the, the, he says the reality of it is that, is that change in the world can happen anywhere among, among any person. But the question is, what will the world look like after that we have changed it? So I'm looking at you, Mercy Church, and what if I told you the same thing, that you can have an impact upon the world? What if by your life and through the means of your community that you can turn the world upside down? And so by me saying that and by the faces that I'm getting, y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. You're like, me, my, my, my little life, like I can have impact in a way to where someone would say that I turned the world upside down? Well, y'all, it's true. I, I know it's true, but, but we're, we're confused by this because we hear these phrases all the time. We hear, you can change the world. Like, you can be the difference maker. You can be that person. We hear that all the time in the news, in the media. There's all these self-help books about being the best version of you. And so we deny the fact that when we look at Genesis 1, 26 through, through 31, it says that we were created by God to make an impact. He told them to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth. He called humanity to make his image glorious among all places, among all people at all times. But y'all, we know what happened a little bit later on in Genesis 3. Sin entered into the world and it ruined God's plan, right? It, it ruined his plan. But the, but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came into a sinful world and he flipped the things around. He turned the world that was upside down, right side up. And for those that are in Christ, those who are the redeemed people of Jesus, he called you back into that very purpose. He called you to make an impact upon the world for his glory. So as you look at today's passage, we're going to see there's nothing extraordinary about um, our boys Paul and Silas um, or their ministry. The only thing remarkable about Paul and Silas, y'all check this, that they were changed by the message of the gospel. You see, uh, the gospel turned their world upside down so they can turn the world right side up. And that's the idea for today's sermon. Gospel people are created to turn the world right side up. I'll say it again. Gospel people are created to turn the world right side up. To give us a roadmap, we're going to walk through the text line by, by line, verse by verse, examining Paul's visits, uh, Paul and Silas' visits to uh, Thessalonica in um, Berea, and we're going to examine the four disruptive practices that they use to turn the world upside up. And so as we walk through the text, we're going to see all these things, and then we're going to conclude using those four points as application. Cool? All right, let us dive in. Verse 1, it says, um, after they passed through um, and, and for, I can't say that word, and five uh, Polyphus and, and Apollona, uh, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Yeah, those are some big words. 
Uh, y'all, y'all help me. Uh, Paul and the, so Paul here and the apostles, um, they're still on their second missionary journey. And what we saw last week inside Acts 16 is that they were inside Philippi. And while they were there, y'all, they got a straight up beat down. Like, like they, they should have not been able to get back up and go to the next city. But y'all, because of the Spirit of God moved within them, because they saw the message, because they experienced the message of the, of the gospel, and it was so compelling, instead of licking their wounds, they saw the vision out in front of them, and so they kept moving forward. And they continued to Thessalonica. And if we look back at the text, it says that they passed through these two cities. These two, two cities were kind of major cities, um, but they passed through those two cities. And we need to ask the question, why? Why did they pass through these two cities? Well, the first reason is this, is that Thessalonica, if we look at the geography, it was a port city, meaning there was a lot of trade, there was a lot of business, and there was a lot of things going on inside that city. Uh, secondly, it was that Thessalonica, along with some other cities around that area, they were a free city, meaning that there was no Roman guard or garrison within that region. Right? And so, therefore, Paul and Silas and the apostles, that they could do ministry without interference of the Roman government. Verse 2, it says, As usual, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So we see this again in their, in their time inside the Word. Um, when they go inside a city, they go inside a Jewish synagogue. And it says that they preach the risen and crucified Jesus to both the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. But the text says that they were there for, for three weeks, right? And so, but as we look at the rest of the Bible in First and Second Thessalonians, it shows that they were there much longer than three weeks, right? And so the question is, why did the writer Luke put three weeks inside, right here inside this text? And what we can see here and what we can see underneath the text was that Paul and Silas knew that if they were going to go preach the gospel to the Jews, they could not cause stumbling blocks. And so they raised some money by their own business and by the church in Philippi. So therefore, they could preach the gospel without any hindrance to the Jews for three weeks straight. Three weeks. They didn't take any money from them. And so what we can take here from as we passed through, as they went through Thessalonica and, and as they strategically went inside the Jewish synagogues, went to their own people and how they took no money from the, the Jews, we can see there was strategy here. Um, passing through the two cities was very intentional. Um, them going to the, to the Jewish synagogues was very purposeful and them taking no money was very calculated. They knew if they were going to plant the roots of the gospel, that they were going to have to go to a place, the Jewish synagogue, where the, the Torah was very familiar. Which brings me to my, to my first point. If, if we are going to turn the world right side up for the gospel, we're going to have to use the, the, the disruptive practice of strategy. Strategy. That's why we planted Mercy Church here inside of Charlotte. This city is a very strategic city. Did you know that Charlotte has over 100,000 college students that enter, that's inside this area, and most of them don't know who Jesus is? Did you know that the majority of our city is filled with people from all over, over the nations? In fact, Charlotte is one of the very few cities where there is a majority-minority presence here. In fact, there's over 51% of people who are non-white within our city. Did you know that, that Charlotte um, Airport 
is phenomenal and our business center is incredible. And because of those two things alone, it allows for us to take the gospel to places that it can never go if we were inside some, some small town inside uh, North Carolina. I love some small town from a small town. But there is strategic realities about where we are and where we are placed here. And so if we are going to turn the world upside down and right side up for, for the gospel, if we're going to bring a gospel awakening in Charlotte that is carried to the ends of the earth, we must be strategic in how we live and how we work and how we play. I'm going to get more to that in a bit. Verse 2. As usual, Paul went into the synagogues, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining Y'all circle that, improving, circle that, that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. Um, verse 2 says that, that, that Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures. And so here, um, the Greek word for, for reason in our English word means that he had a dialogue with them, meaning that there was an a, a exchange of answering and questioning from the, from the Scriptures. And so Paul and Silas, they were speaking the Word of God. Um, verse 3 says that, that as they were explaining and proving that it was necessary, that, that the Messiah, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, had to die. Y'all, there was a lot of importance here, and here is the reason why. Um, y'all, the Jews were well-educated on the, on the Scriptures. They knew the Bible. They knew the, the Torah front and back, but they had a different interpretation about the Messiah. Therefore, Paul and Silas spoke from the Scriptures about the majesty of the Messiah. So let me, let me explain a little bit more. According to the promise in Genesis 12, as the seed of Abraham, the Messiah would come to the earth to establish his royal kingdom upon the world and all the nations. He would conquer all of his enemies and ours. He would cause all wars and conflict to seize, and he will reign triumphantly over sin and over death, and he will reign in splendor and glory. That was the Messiah that he was explaining before the Jews. And so the Jews, they were expecting a Messiah, but they missed the parts where the text made it very, very clear that where the Messiah had to suffer, where he had to be crucified, to where he had to be resurrected, right? And so, and so, um, so, so, so Paul and, and, and Silas, they, they were speaking from an informed manner, an experience with, with the Jews. They knew their audience, that they knew them. In fact, the Jewish rabbis actually had this idea that there was actually two uh, messiahs, one uh, which that they called the, the Meshiach ben, ben Davide, or the, the Messiah of the son of David, uh, which was the glorious triumphant king, or the second one was Mashiach ben Joseph, which was the Old Testament Joseph inside Genesis to where he would suffer. But Paul was wanting them to see that that Messiah was actually both of those things, the one who came as the likeness of men to live the life that we could not live, to die and suffer for our sake, and he would resurrect in triumph glory, defeating all of our sins and all of our enemies. That was the Messiah Paul was trying to get them to see, the one who suffered with humanity, but he was raised in glory. That Messiah, Jesus. So what we can draw here from this interaction is that if we're going to take the gospel and turn it right side up for Jesus, we're going to have to, see that we're going to, have to use the disruptive practice of speaking the gospel. Speaking the gospel. 
And so speaking the gospel to the, to the lost world comes from a heart that knows that it is lost. Do you know that you're lost, Christian, without Jesus? Do you know that Jesus came and died for you in your wretched and ruined self, and he took what was broken and made right? That was the only reason why Paul and Silas kept going from town to town, going to their own people to be beaten and persecuted um, inside the Jewish synagogues because they knew this gospel message, that the gospel was was worthy of them losing their life. The gospel message was worth that. The speaking the gospel was so uncomfortable for, for them, and it will be uncomfortable for us. But y'all, we need to get this. is when our hearts are gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes us. It should change us. We have to remind ourselves of what Jesus did. Y'all, I'm going to keep saying this gospel message over and over again. Jesus came and identified in our misery. He, 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 he embodied the discomfort of humanity. He was born in danger. He humbled himself in humility. He experienced temptation, and he voluntarily laid his life down on the cross. The gospel message, that's what Jesus did for you. You couldn't save yourself, so he came down from heaven and saved you. His world was turned upside down, facing the death that was intended for all humanity so that in his name we can turn the world right side up. Alexander McLaren says it this way. He says that talking about Jesus, he says, we must die because he would save, and he would save because he did love. Jesus loves you. He loves you. And by that love, that love should compel you to go share about him. The question of the matter is, is are you compelled by that love? Are you compelled by this Jesus who would take you and accept you in all your mess, all your mess? You know what you did last week. You know what you did yesterday. And most of it was probably doing a whole lot of sinning. And apart from the grace of Jesus, there's no way, there's no way that you can be in the presence of God. But God loved you while you were yet a sinner. You were running away from the, from the love of God, and God chased after you. He chased after you. He ran after you. He pursued you. You were the runaway bride, and he was the groom chasing you down the aisle. He chased you. He showed you love. And when our hearts are gripped by this love of the gospel, it causes us to share with others. Let's see how the Jews respond in verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and join Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. Again, as we see inside this, this series of, of events, Paul, I mean Luke, the writer, is, is singling out the influential women here. They had a lot of social and civic influence, and because they had all the, all the money and all the influence, this upset it, the Jews inside uh, this time. And so, you know what they did? Let's go form a mob. Like, let's, you know, like, the gospel message is impacting our city, so let's, let's go tear, tear, tear things up. Verse, verse 5, it says, uh, But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. So they got some guys uh, who were already just ready to tear some stuff up, and formed a mob, and started rioting the city. 
attacking Jason's house. So we're going to talk about him in a bit. Um, They searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials. So contrasting to the, to the Jews um, before, as God's chosen people, these people, as Jews, were supposed to be building God's kingdom, but literally, they were tearing things up. <laughs> Do y'all see the contrast inside, inside the text? Like, we were created for glory. We were created for good, to bring about, bear the image of God. And as image bearers, they were tearing up God's city. And in their revolt, they began searching for Paul and Silas, and they could not find them. And so they went after those who were supporting them, um, um, advancing the gospel, and that was Jason and his discipleship community. And so they captured Jason, they captured his friends, and set them before the city. And here's what they said about Paul and the whole Christian community there. It says, these men have turned the world upside down and have come here too. And Jason, Sargon's word, has welcomed them, and they were all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And so, you know, they didn't have Snapchat or they didn't have TikTok and Twitter or Facebook to, like, show um, Paul going from, from town to town. And so for them to hear about Paul impacting the whole entire world for, for Jesus— Y'all, that's a big deal. They knew about his street cred from the other towns. And and they said, hey, this this homie is not going to start messing up stuff for us. And so, therefore, y'all, let's let's kill him. Let's let's get him out of of town. But, y'all, this is what happens when the gospel invades a community. It disrupts the social, the political, and the economical constructs of, of the society. The Greek word for turn here, if you look at it, it says turn the world upside down. It, it is anastastus, which is a, it has a revolutionary tone to it. Um, basically, Paul and Silas were, were being charged for being revolutionaries. And if they were going to treason against Caesar in the kingdom, they were, and if they were found guilty, they were going to get killed. They were literally going, going to get killed. So, as any common sense person would do. They, they busted out of, out of town. I, I swear they, they're black because, you know, when black folks see, see a problem, we just, we, we, we skate out of town. Uh, you know, ch- Paul, Paul was chocolate. You can write that inside, inside, inside your notes. Um, um, but, but y'all, we have to t- take notice here that these accusations were actually exaggerated and they, they were false. It was actually Paul's accusers, the Jews who were upsetting the world by stirring up violence. However, although these things were false, they were true of them, and they should be true of you. As Christians, we should be upsetting the world by living a life that's challenging, that affects society at an individual and social level. And as Jason stood before the kings, he was was accused of housing a revolution. You know, it would have been easier for him to say, you know what, I'm going to submit to, to Caesar. I'm going to rat out Paul because my, my life is precious. And so, but he didn't do that. His life was at stake and he stood condemned because of he believed in the gospel message. Y'all, Jason, who was 
housing Paul and the apostles and the Christians, that man probably looked like and smelled like Jesus. Can you remember Jesus who stood condemned before the Roman government for for being a revolutionary? Jesus did that. But Jason's crime here, it wasn't housing a revolution. It was offering biblical hospitality. Because the gospel turned his world upside, right side up, he used a disruptive practice of, I'm sorry, because, because the gospel turned his world upside down, um, Jason was working to turn the world right side up. So Jason, if we notice, he used his house. Later on, we're going to see he uses money, and he used his life because Jesus was worth it. And the community noticed. They noticed what was going on. This man used all that he had for the sake of the gospel, which brings us to our next point. If we're going to turn the world right side up, we have to use the disruptive practice of sacrifice. And there's many, many things that he sacrificed, but I think the Scriptures is t-balling up for us, showing us that biblical hospitality was at work. And so for, for, for you, we're talking about this series, um, willing, um, willing to, to go but choosing to stay. If we're choosing to stay, biblical hospitality is an easy way for us to sacrifice for the gospel. In fact, Paul says it this way. He believed in it so much. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, he says, uh, We care so much for you that we are pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you have become dear to us. Paul shared the gospel and he shared his life. Everything about Paul was about advancing the gospel message. And his, his disciples, like Jason, followed in that endeavor. Share the gospel share your life. So if you're choosing to stay here in Charlotte, which is most of us in this room, a way to make an impact is biblical hospitality. We're going to get to that a little little bit more, but Mercy Church, we need to grapple with this. Hospitality is discipleship. I'll say it again. Hospitality is discipleship. When we open our homes and open our lives for the sake of the gospel, lives are changed. I remember one time back in the day, my former mentor put out on on Twitter, he says, Christians should see their homes as a place of ministry rather than a place of refuge. And y'all, so many of us, we treat our, our homes as a palace and as a kingdom, and we actually forsake Jesus' kingdom by searching, by, by chasing our own kingdom. But, but what if, but what if we opened our lives and our houses in a way to where people felt the tangible love of God through us? What if that, that happened? How would things change? To convince you more is that, as we talked about last week, more people are becoming less and less accustomed to actually walking into an actual church building. The, the term category none is rising like ever before. And people aren't coming into the church. But what if we used our homes to take the church to them? And last time I looked, everybody in this room, y'all, y'all looking good, dolled, dolled out, dressed up, you know, inside your, your Sunday best. You guys, most of us have, have homes in here. And God has given you that to use for his glory. So if we're going to be called to, to stay here in Charlotte, we need to embody and practice biblical hospitality. 
We're going to get that. We're going to have some tangible ways of that a little bit later on, but we got to keep moving. Verse 8. It says, the crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset, so they, they were hot. And after taking a, a security bond, there goes Jason's money from Jason and the others. They released them. And as soon as it was night, um, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And upon arrival, they went to the, to the synagogue of the Jews. And so the Lord made a way for Jason. His life wasn't at stake, but it did cost him a whole lot, lot of guac to get, to get out of, out of, uh, <laughs> out of taking his life away. Um, but we see this practice again. One, Paul and Silas, they, they got out of, out of town, you know, they were, they, they were smart. They were very strategic. Um, but then also, they went again into the Jewish synagogues. You're like, why? Like, bro, this is three times in a row. Like, you keep going to the same place where you're about to get killed. Why would you do that? And let, let's look what it says. They went to the town of uh, Berea. It says, uh, the people here were more, uh, more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Um, so circle that word, noble character. Since they received the word, and circle these next two words, with eagerness and examine the scriptures daily, circle the word daily, to see if these things were so. Verse 12, consequently, many of them believed, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men. So again, contrast it to the Jews in Thessalonica. After Paul preached the gospel message, uh, the Jews inside the church of Berea, it said that they had noble character. And so, so they were expecting to receive the word of God. And it said they received it with eagerness, and, then, and, they, and they examined the word daily and carefully. They had a mixture of humility, receptivity, and learning. They had a posture of teachability, but they also had the wisdom to not to take Paul at his word, but to actually to study it for themselves. This brings me to my next and last point. If we're going to be a people to turn the world right side up for the gospel, we're going to have to use the disruptive practice of study. Y'all, a serious study of Scripture should lead to an impact upon a community. It, it, it should. You see, as a follower of Jesus, when we study the Word, we need to be reminded that we were once outsiders. We, we were once not inside Jesus' fold, but God, by the grace of Jesus, lavishly poured his love upon us. And now, when we get to experience that love, we share that, as we talked about, with others. And so, if we are going to be a church that's turning the world right side up for the kingdom of Jesus, we must take the, world, the word of God seriously. But y'all, we need to be careful here. Studying the Word, that does not mean to be a Bible junkie. That's just taking content for the sake of content's sake. But we should study the Word that leads to transformation. To, uh, the transformation that, 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 that leads us to share the Word of God with others. That's what happens. I heard this one rapper says it this way. He says, here's the, the Christian, for us to breathe properly, we need to have a good dose of inhaling the Word of God and exhaling it. But so many of us are inhaling and having um, what, what do you call big, big mouth money. You know, we, we're, just, we're, just, we're just hoarding, right? Um, and what happens is that no one gets fed and no, no, one, no one's lives, lives aren't changed. But y'all, 
when they shared the word, look what happened. Verse 12, consequently, many of them believed, including a number of prominent uh, women as well as men. Again, like Luke is highlighting this bad boy a lot. Influential Greek women and men were saved and they impacted the city. The influencers were saved. Is, is that kind of, kind of making sense? Those who work at Bank of America, what Wells Fargo, Vanguard? You can impact your community in that way by spending time with Jesus. Those who own businesses, you can impact Jesus in that way by spending time with Jesus. As a college student, you will one day be an influencer or be around influencers. By studying your Bible, it will impact the society. It will. So the question that I want to ask for many of us is, is our study of the Word impacting us in a way that our community notices? Are you going to, to the Word of God to check off a list? Or are you going to the Word of God to be transformed? I once heard this one writer say, he says, the per- when, when I meet with God, my purpose isn't to get something out of the Bible, but the, it is to get the Bible into me. It is, it is whenever you go to the Word of God, it isn't just to read a bunch of things and say, oh, I'm done. It is to have your soul delighted in God. Because when, whenever your soul is delighted in Him, it then impacts others. Because what you love, you will speak about. What you love, you will proclaim. A good study of Scripture impacts the community, and it leads to action. Y'all, this type of study should lead to a revolution. It should. And this is what happened in verse 13. It says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came here too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Y'all, again, <laughs> they, they came from the other town, and they started a revolution, uh, a rioting inside the city because the word of God was being taken to the, to the, to the uh, region of, of Berea. Y'all, this is what happens. This is what happens. And so, in their common strategy, again, strategy is, is important here, is, is that um, they sent Paul and Barnabas off to Athens. Let's look at verse 14. It says, the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to the coast, but, but Silas and Timothy stayed there. So, we have a new character here, uh, Timothy. And those who, who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instruction from Silas and Timothy to come to him quickly as possible, they departed. So they used strategy in Thessalonica. They used strategy in Berea. Next week you will see um, our brother Alan preach through Acts, the rest of Acts 17 using strategy in, in Athens. And because of the opposition of the gospel, the gospel kept spreading. But y'all, we need to t- take notice. In this text, we see our, our boy Timothy hopped up on the screen, right, um, on, on the scene. Timothy, First and Second Timothy was written because of his influence, stayed back inside um, Berea. And Timothy and Silas stayed there to help advance the gospel. And so for some of us inside the room, God may not be calling you to go to the nations, but the reality of it is that you are sent people. We are a sent people. So the matter of the, the reality of it is if you're going to stay here, how are you going to advance the ministry of the gospel here? How are you going to, going to do that? 
I'm going to say this as your pastor. It is not enough just showing up on, on Sunday. It ain't enough. That's, that's, that's just called religious duty. It's important to be here because we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. We need to be exhorted from the Word. But the Word should impact us in a way to where it leads us to action. Change people, change people. And change people, change the, the community. It should lead to action. So, so how do we, we respond to this, right? So how do we res- respond to this message? So I just, I'm going to summarize the four practices that we just went through. First is strategizing for the mission of God. And so a question for us is that what needs to change in your daily life and rhythm that makes you more strategic for the mission of God? Think, think about that. What needs to change in your life that make you more strategic for the mission of God? For some of us, it might be, be an address change. For some of us, it might be just be intentional about the places that you go and the people that you meet with, right? Or maybe it might be partnering with an international missionary. Most international missionaries, when they're sent overseas, they do not get a lot of rapport back from the churches inside the states. Maybe it's that you getting with Pastor Scott and Sarah and saying, how can I support um, an international missionary who needs the love of Jesus so they can advance the work further and faster? Speaking the gospel, who is in your life that needs to hear the truth of the gospel? We all got it. It says at the beginning, there's 10,000 people that we're going to meet. And so opportunity is not an issue. It's a matter of, of obedience. Who are those 10, 10 people that you're going to impact? They're going to impact those 10 people that in the next five generations, there'll be 800 million people impacted. Who is the person that is far from God, but is close to you? Who is that person to where you know you should, should have been sharing the word of God with them, but you have been disobedient? Y'all, sharing the gospel for Paul and Timothy was a matter of life and death. But y'all, it's still a matter of life and death. <laughs> we want people to be in glory with, with our king. And we want our king to be as, as most glorified as he can be. And that's by inviting the saints to worship with him at his throne, singing praises to, to him. Sacrificing for the gospel, how are you using your home, your apartment, your, your car? I'm, I'm from Texas, but I got hit up with my truck all, all the time. You know, you, you got a car. Use it. Y'all, we, Charlotte is the number one place out of the top 50 states in America to where upper mobility is a problem. Have you considered that you can literally drive someone to go to the grocery store? Whenever I was picking up vans when we first uh, moved here, I literally saw people go into Enterprise, rent a car for a weekend because they had no means of transportation. You have the means to go make an impact, to, 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 to take the reality of hospitality to people. Are you inviting people into your, your home? Whether it's someone inside of your community group, whether it's lost people, Y'all, like, we live all around people who don't know who Jesus is. And the most gospel-loving thing that you can do is just, hey, come have a meal with me. That's what Jesus did. 
There's actually a good book called A Meal with Jesus. I, I will commend it to you. It's, it's all about embodying biblical hospitality to those who are lost, but those who need a friend. In fact, 110 people moved to Charlotte on a daily basis. What if you tithe one night of your week for the mission of God? What if you set aside something in your budget to house, to, to invite someone into your, to your home? $50 go, goes a long way. What if you decided, you know what? We've been talking about foster care for a long time. We're, we're just, gonna, we're just gonna, gonna do it. The gospel is worth it to get, to get those who are marginalized off the street so therefore that, that, that we can make an impact on our society. You know what? Um, we have missionaries coming, coming home and they have nowhere to, where to stay. Because the gospel has compelled us in a way, we're gonna offer a home to them because Christ has become home to us. You wanna do that? Talk to, talk to Pastor Scott. And then lastly, you're studying the Word. What component in your time with Jesus needs to change? Do you need to get a, a, a new version of the Bible so it can be fresh to you? Do you need someone to hold you accountable? Do you need to start out slow in reading the, the Word? Do you need to, to, to meditate a little bit longer? What needs to change? Y'all, we have a Bible reading plan right out in front of you. Um, and so those who have been walking with us for a while, we talked about there's two ways to read the Bible. You read the Bible for debt, like deeply reading the Bible, and a Bible for breath. This is a way to understand all of the Bible without getting into all the details. But there is time where you need to read the Bible and study it deeply. Because you need to know about the person who created you. It's not, it's, not, it's not a means of duty. It's a means of delight when we get to study God's Word. So I'm going to con- conclude here. You can change the world. You can change the world. God has created you. God has gifted you. God has blessed you to change the world. Jesus came inside the world, and his world was turned upside down, so therefore he turned the world right side up for his glory and, and for his name that we can bring glory and fame to him. Amen? Amen. Let let me pray. Father, we are grateful that we can just see in your text how that, um, Lord, that we, we are called to make an impact upon your world. Lord, sin does not have the final say. You have the final say. And you said in your word, oh, death, where is your sting? The victory is in Jesus. Jesus, help us to walk in that victory, knowing that we have been empowered and endowed by your spirit to make an impact on on all places, at all times, among all people. Lord, we are a sick people. Help us to, to, to operate in our identity of being a people that were created to bring your good and your glory everywhere. But Lord, lead us to repentance. Lead us in ways to where, where we wouldn't fall into condemnation from this, but we will, we will be motivated by conviction. Conviction because we know that we have been loved by you, chosen by you. Um, redeemed by you, cherished by you. And so help us, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.